Let's redo that. Uh, so, Jeff, did you watch the big game on Sunday? I started watching some of the second half, but uh, how'd your chili turn out? It was fantastic. Uh, it was better than the big game, in my opinion. Everything went well with the family since I know you got together for all of that. Yeah, it was great. I think I drank a little too much, but... Well, you weren't driving, yeah. That's that's why you hang out with family, right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. If you can't make a fool of yourself in front of family, who can you make a fool out of yourself in front of? Well, yes, there's a lot of options to make a fool out of myself in front of. <laughs> that's why we're recording a podcast, right? <laughs> oh, I clipped out there. That's why we're recording a podcast. <laughs> There, I'll just put that in with your laugh. <laughs> Welcome to episode two of the 90 Schmaltz. This week we are watching Seventh Heaven. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ned. And we're going to talk about this lovely, God fearing show. What's the opposite of edgy, Jeff? Um, not edgy. Insipid. Bland. Straight-edged. Well, let's not give too much away. Now's not the time to talk about that. What do you want to talk about? Why don't you tell me what seventh heaven means to you? Well, for me, that means a big pot of chili and 17 beers. 17 beers. <laughs> Is it, do you want a legitimate answer? Or? <laughs> I mean, whatever you want to give me for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh. Note from the editing closet. I noticed I didn't ask Jeff what his seventh heaven was, but I'm confident the answer would be making a podcast with me. So what does seventh heaven mean uh, in the literal sense? We know generally in pop culture it means something that's real good. Yeah, I'm in seventh heaven. I'm in heaven. And then who doesn't like sevens? But biblically, there is nothing about seven heavens. Uh, there are no layers of heaven or hell. That's a medieval thing that uh, we all probably took from Dante's Inferno. Uh, but there are seven heavens in Islam. Dante's is nine layers of hell, yeah? Well, it could be. I don't know. I never read it. Oh, oh okay. I only <laughs> let me pick up the classics from Osmosis, <laughs> the the miscellaneous that we hear from you know television and and movies. I do feel bad sometimes about things that you never got assigned in high school that you wish you did. I probably would have liked Dante's Inferno better than some of the other things I was forced to read. It's true too, because even now though, you think that oh, I do want to go back and read some of these things or or you know experience them, but you're like, when the fuck am I supposed to fit that into my schedule? They keep making new books. Yeah, new universes, and, and there's video games, and, and movies, and, and new television shows that aren't as good as the old ones. I I know that we've passed the point where this is true, but I wonder when it became true that there's probably more media being created that than you can ever possibly consume. Like, we're running a losing battle in retreat here. It had to be in the 80s, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about that a couple of times. You kind of almost like the world ended, but you still have, you know, maybe 10 years of the internet history saved somewhere. And you're probably never going to run out of entertainment. It's not all very good, but. But it's better than uh, dying, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> Radiation. <laughs> Unless maybe you're all by yourself. 
Who knows? Internet humor depends on the situation for sure. Which is funny too, because some of it can, you know, especially those memes can carry on for a, a, a while and actually still be relevant, which I like. Well, at some point, memes just become sayings. But enough philosophy. Let's talk about religion. By that, I mean the show Seventh Heaven. So what else could you have been watching other than Seventh Heaven? This is my new section of the show where I talk about what I've been able to find from finding old TV guides on the internet. Uh, And so I've got a 1998 TV guide that shows the schedule for Sunday night at 6 p.m. Seventh Heaven on two separate channels for some reason in this TV guide. And uh, the other things you could have been watching, a lot of 60 Minutes, Dateline NBC, boring. (laughs) The Book of Virtues, which is a cartoon I just found out about and I'm excited to eventually cover someday. Earth Final Conflict on the Sci-Fi Channel. No, that's Space Above and Beyond on the Sci-Fi Channel. Earth Final Conflict is on something else. Looks like ABC to me. Uh, You could have watched My Brother and Me, Space Above and Beyond on the Sci-Fi Channel as we talked about, National Geographic Explorer, or WWF Wrestling. I know which one I would have picked, uh, but why don't you tell me what you would have watched instead, Jeff? We've also got the wonderful world of Disney movie, George of the Jungle, if that sways your answer at all. You could watch WWF Wrestling, National Geographic Explorer, yeah. I mean, just some great ships on the History Channel. That's probably what I would have watched. It is fun going back and looking at the History Channel. When they had history. (laughs) Yeah, and Discovery Channel and TLC used to have so many science channels. I like the fact that this is Sunday night, and if you look in the 7 o'clock primetime slot, it says English League Soccer on uh, Fox Sports. And that, to me, is just you know hilarious, because at that point, soccer hasn't been playing on the television for several hours. But this was many years ago before we had uh, Premier League uh, playing live. Looking at these old TV guides is pretty wild. Yeah, it is cool. Hopefully, we'll be able to continue to do this, and you'll be able to find them. Or maybe you can... Uh, get your librarian to help you uh i asked her about it and it is maybe tv guide might have an archive so i think i'm out of luck i'm just gonna have to find them at thrift stores which is kind of what i expected no fair enough so so any listeners please i'll give you a p.o box (laughs) uh and if you get especially washington dc metro uh i'll be interested in but if you get philly too i'm sure jeff would appreciate that yeah so what was Seventh Heaven? Uh, I think a good synopsis here is uh, what was Seventh Heaven from our season one DVD release. Uh, it, this is after the fact, September fourth, two thousand and four. The DVD for season one came out, but right because notably no VHS release. Yeah, we tried very hard hoping to find a VHS because uh, you know we love outdated technology, but uh, now we could. They did not release a VHS very sad the back of the season one dvd release however does say love laughter heartbreak and tears swirl around the camden family in seventh heaven the critically acclaimed drama series which we'll talk about that arrives on dvd in this six disc collection minister eric camden stephen collins and his wife annie Catherine hicks preside our two star trek people preside over a growing family of children including jessica beale as daughter mary no other child is uh, noted in this popular show that reflects the headlines of contemporary times the camdens tap tackle the complex problems of living and growing up in the world today while capturing the downs we laughed about this last time. Yeah, we laughed about this last time because it's it's a strange wording. <laughs> Eric and Annie somehow manage to keep their romance alive and their family together. 
Enjoy the award-winning premiere season of this family drama series with Seventh Heaven, the complete first season. Uh, which, by the way, the only major award, television award, Seventh Heaven was nominated in 1997 for Outstanding Art Direction. Uh, and they lost to the X-Files. As they probably should have. Nominated as favorite television show at the Kids' Choice Awards. That's it, Kids' Choice Awards. <laughs> I do appreciate this dig from the TV Guide Awards. They did win this one, in fact. The best show you're not watching in 1999, which is like winning the uh, Office Garbage Disposal Award at the company Christmas Party. Uh, They did get nominated for Favorite TV Pet from Teen Choice in 2000. Just nominated, though. Uh, What else did they win here? That uh, The Family Television Awards. That's right. Best Drama. 99 and 2002. It's much easier to compete when you cut out half of your comp- competition for being too cool. For being too cool. Seventh Heaven ran from 1996 to 2007 with 243 episodes. The series first ran on the WB for its whole first 10 seasons, and a series finale did run on May 2006, as season 10 was supposed to be the last one. Um, it was then picked up again by CW which you know WB transitioned to the CW uh, running for that last season in season 11 and that's kind of one of the more interesting parts of this whole thing right WB to CW and I uh, I think you did some work on that yeah I got a couple notes and by that I mean I got a page of things to say about the WB network so let's get into it huh yeah tell me all about it all right WB network this is going to come up a lot with I think a lot of these non-major networks is that in the early 90s late 80s fox became one of the new major networks which hadn't happened before and as a result they started the fcc started deregulating a lot of broadcast media and as part of that you saw upn tbs usa uh, wb all these networks started showing up and making their own tv becoming their own thing whether they were on cable or not i mean nickelodeon cartoon network disney channel all these things showed up in the 90s. They were all cable, though. Yeah, but it's it all shows up in the 90s. It does, yes. But you could pick up uh, WB on the on the the bunny ears. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. I'm gonna cut that part out. Then. Oh, don't cut it. I thought that was a good. All right. Yeah. That's fine. Well, then I won't cut it then. <laughs> you son of a bitch. So in the early 90s, the FCC deregulated a lot of broadcast media, and as a result, these kind of larger movie studios started looking into creating their own TV networks as opposed to showing their shows on the big networks. They could start creating their own programming. WB was launched with partial ownership by Tribune Broadcasting, which is a company that held several independent networks across the country. I believe that's how I ended up getting WB was through one of theirs. Uh, Trying to look this stuff up is a nightmare. By the way, there's another reason I'm trying to get these TV guides. So when it started out in 1995, it only had one night of programming. So these independent networks would show their one night of programming, I say on Sunday night, three hours, they would show the WB programming block. And then after that, they just did whatever they wanted with the rest of the time. And within a first year, they had, I think, two nights. And then a couple years in, they were filling the entire time. And they had, they ended up with a kid's WB block, tons of programming. It's so hard to imagine that these days. What, just like all of a sudden there's a new network? Not even a new network. They only had one night of programming. I mean, they had four shows, right? That's what they came up with. It makes sense. I mean, you have to start somewhere, but it's kind of harder to imagine. 
And I like the story that some stations started carrying the WB programming late. It had been airing for a few weeks before they decided to hop on and start airing those programming blocks. And so to, to take care of that, they just aired the first couple weeks, just one night after the next. So you just had a solid week of the Sunday night programming block until they caught up and caught up on the Sunday and then they were good to go. So you could have really just enjoyed Sunday night every night for a week in 1995 if you got lucky. The network initially had a pretty strong focus on black comedy shows, The Wayans Brothers, uh, Parenthood, The Steve Harvey Show, and The Jamie Foxx Show. But their first real hit was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which led to the network entirely abandoning everything else to focus on teen drama. Eventual hits with Dawson's Creek, Charmed, Smallville, Gilmore Girls, Supernatural, uh, and more than that beyond. WB also had a pretty strong kids cartoon block. They picked up Animaniacs after it stopped airing on Fox. They aired Pinky and the Brain, Freakazoid, that Superman animated series that really wanted to be the Batman animated series but was never quite as good. <laughs> and eventually Batman Beyond and Static Shock, which Batman are two Beyond. that I enjoyed. Yeah. The network started to flounder in the early to mid-2000s, just declining ratings, uh, nothing really specific. A lot of their bigger shows were getting old and they either did spinoffs or new series that just never really took off. They would eventually merge with UPN, another network that I'm sure we'll get to in time. To become the modern CW network, which incidentally I heard is just up for sale. Oh, really? Uh, WB is tired of. I don't know if WB owns it. It's a it's a joint venture between WB and Paramount, so I don't really know the details of the sale. But they are up for sale. I only know that because the news article I saw was about the Babylon Five reboot still being guaranteed by the company president. Oh yeah, it looks like the news first came in January seventh or so of 2022. Uh, crazy. So, one of the interesting things about the WB network that I, re- I didn't recall until I read about it is that it was a feed beamed across the country if you didn't have a local affiliate. It was beamed into your house probably by the WGN-TV Superstation feed. Jeff, do you remember Bozo the Clown at all? I don't. But you know who he is. I do know who he is, obviously, yeah. Yeah, and the reason you know who he is is because of this Superstation feed, because Bozo the Clown is just some cable access Chicago guy. Just some creepy clown from uh, Chicago. Making a weird kids variety show where they throw balls into buckets. And it's not compelling at all. But it was on the Superstation feed, so it was beamed all across the country. And it would be on on Saturday. Or maybe even Sunday. Because I, th- I believe that's the only time I ever landed on it is when the infomercials were the only other option. And I would still sometimes pick the infomercials. So WGN-TV in, in Chicago was one of the first networks to beam out its feed minus anything local that they weren't allowed to, such as sports. They would beam it out, and any, any network that wanted to carry it was welcome to. Uh, so I had a local independent network that joined the WB network that showed this programming. But then I also had on Channel 15 often the same thing or an hour off because it was on Central Time sometimes, that exact same programming. So I had two different ways to watch 7th Heaven, if I so chose, which is probably why the TV Guide showed it on two separate networks at the same time. Hmm. The WB Network, if you remember anything about it, you probably remember Michigan J. Frog. It's one of the primary things I remember from the WB Network. That song and dance frog. Hello, my baby. He's delightful. Uh, He would come on and he was the first one to throw the switch to start the network in their first broadcast commercial and then he would come on between shows to sing about whatever he wanted to. And if it was uh, transitioning from the family block to the late night block and things were getting a little too heavy for the kids, he would sing about how it's time to go to sleep if you're a kid, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's better than having, you know, the television just go to static at the end of the day. 
Well, it was still there. It just wasn't good for kids anymore, right? This is when TV ratings showed up. Because I don't remember what year the TV ratings showed up, but it was definitely mid-90s. In mid-2000s, with their flagging ratings, the WB chairman decided that it was time to kill Michigan J. Frog. Oh, no. He said, the frog is dead and buried. That is a direct quote. I miss him. I wonder if they ever put, like, a gravestone up. I don't think they did, but someone did. You know you've lost your way when you're too cool for cartoon frogs. Yeah, it's Michigan J. Frog, too. I mean, they really gave him an update in the early 2000s, I thought. Yeah. So shortly before they even got rid of him, they gave him, like, a tuxedo, like a legit tuxedo, right? If I remember correctly. Do you think Michigan J. Frog would get canceled these days? I... Is he doing is he doing a minstrel show thing? I don't know. I, I feel like we're reaching. He's a frog. Or is it vaudeville? Yeah, I don't know. I think that was... Isn't that kind of what he was based off of? Just a vaudeville? Probably. Yeah, probably okay. vaudeville, yeah. Yeah. Uh... And you know what? But it's always it's always best to die before you get canceled. That's what I say. I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> In the end, I did not cut the section. Seventh Heaven, created by Brenda Hampton, uh, who also brought us Blossom, Love Boat, The Next Wave, uh, Fat Actress, if anybody remembers this one, uh, on Showtime with Kirstie Alley, because that was the thing, and executive produced by Aaron Spelling, who, I mean... I feel like if anybody's watched TV in the, the last century, they would know who Aaron Spelling is because he's brought us everything. Yeah, difficult man to avoid. Charlie's Angels, Fantasy Island, Beverly Hills 90210, Love Boat, and 200 more besides. Which is just, I mean, how any single person has, you know, this much influence over television. Definitely not a bad thing, but at the same time, it's just wild that, you know, creative minds can really go for it though hollywood i guess could be a strange place a very strange place so who knows yeah. um i did want to specifically talk about our main characters in the show uh which is the family in my opinion here uh you know our father mother uh o- oldest son oldest daughter uh, next daughter next son next daughter and then sons and the dog. Yeah, it goes back and <laughs> forth, which is good. It, it definitely is good. Uh, it it flips gender each way, so that that helps you keep track. We'll uh, except I don't know what the gender of the dog is. The dog was a boy, a rescue. Okay, then that ruins my pattern. Stephen Collins, our father, Eric Camden. We probably know him from a few things. Will Decker from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, nineteen seventy-five, and to get the. Less than exciting things out of the way. He openly admitted to sexual assault against uh, some minors. Problematic person. Uh, Catherine Hicks, our mother, Annie Camden. Um, played a few things. Bad News Bears, the TV show. She was Maryland in the 1980 Untold Story. She was also Dr. Jillian Taylor in Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Uh, she was also in Child Play, playing with Chucky the doll. Uh Karen Barkley. She buys Chucky. She starts the whole thing. It's her fault. Yeah, it's her fault. We got all those terrible movies later on. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> Only responsible for the near death of her child. I think it's interesting that we get two leads from Star Trek movies. Uh, they're the biggest characters that aren't the original cast in two separate Star Trek movies. I mean, there's only six of those, right? So, what are the chances? Star Trek Four: Voyage Home trying to remember that one that's the one with the whales is that one any good 
Yeah, it's this funny one. That's right. It's great. It's that yeah. ridiculous one. Right, right. It's the one where Scotty talks into the talks to the computer. That's right. And the guy says, "Why don't you try the mouse?" <laughs> and, he's, and then he says, and he starts talking into the mouse. Oh man! Kirk almost gets hit by a cab, and he yells, "Double dumbass on you!" Because Spock told him that they curse in the 20th century. Uh, Matt Camden, our oldest child, played by Barry Watson, uh, also played. In What About Brian, television show, and Gossip Girl. Uh, we have the second oldest, Mary Camden. This is Jessica Biel. Uh, kind of the high-profile pick, I guess, especially. So she's the only kid on the DVD case. Yeah, the only kid on the DVD case. I mean, not the only one we can see in the picture, but the only one who actually gets you know her name mentioned. There was a rumor she was a troublemaker on the show. Uh, she was not big on conforming to her role off-camera as Aaron Spelling uh, required of the cast to fit into this religious, uh, very primed family. Man, you got to act like a repressive person, and then you have to be repressed yourself? Apparently, yeah. Or at least not get caught, which, to be honest with you, during this time it was a little bit easier to to not out yourself. That's true. Um, There was an instance where she cut her hair and dyed it, and she had then had to apologize to the producer and to her cast. Neat. She also posed topless at 17 in Gear magazine. That cool magazine that competed with Maxim. The pictures were released when she was 18 because, you know, that really makes it better. The pictures are now old enough to be legal. I did find an interview. I forget where it was, but uh, Jessica did say that this photo shoot was not a calculated move um, like most people thought. And it was just kind of another life lesson. She also played the character of Jessica Biel on BoJack Horseman. Oh, that's so cool to play yourself. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, Happy the Dong, he was a rescue, uh, where I still couldn't find that article uh, that we talked about, but uh, yeah. he had a fear of men and would need extra time uh, when he was introduced to male characters on scenes, which I'm not sure. I feel like watching it after the fact, I may have noticed a few of those things, but I'm not 100%. Mm-hmm. This could all be you know, just rumor and it just playing in the back of my mind you can believe anything you read on the internet it's fine the third eldest we have lucy camden played by beverly mitchell uh, secret life of the american teenager which was a show also created by brenda hampton i think the last thing that i noticed that she did she played in alongside a few other child actresses i should have the name for that oh right yeah so it's called hollywood darlings and she plays with Christine Lacken from Step by Step. It's Beverly Mitchell, Seventh Heaven, and uh, Jody uh, Sweeten from Full House. I never heard of it, so it probably means it's great. Uh, it ran for 17 episodes. If it's British TV, that's a successful series. Honestly, I think anything that ends before we stop caring about it is successful. I agree. David Gallagher playing Simon Camden, our fourth eldest child. Uh, he's the U.S. voice of Riku in uh, Kingdom Hearts. That gets him a lot of credits. I'm impressed. That's a, that is a lot of credits. because he plays 38 games, I think. He plays all of them as Riku. Uh, I remember him the most from Donnie, the shop clerk from Super 8, because I'm a big fan of that movie. I enjoyed it, too. And he played Mikey from Look Who's Talking too. The literal baby, not Bruce Willis. Well, yeah. We got Mackenzie Rossman, who is Ruthie Camden, uh, our fifth eldest. She was also Secret Life of American Teenager. Uh, she played Ghost Shark, if we remember that one. 
And she also had some risque photos leaked of herself in 2008. Um, I think she was 18 at the time there. And then she posed for Maxim in 2013. Um, I think she was 22 or something like that. Uh, I can't math right now. I'm surprised to find out that Maxim is still around, honestly. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know how a lot of periodicals are still around. I haven't read a magazine in 12 years. I have some sitting on my bookshelf, but they're mostly food-related. Uh, lastly, the the two twins, we have Lorenzo and Nicholas uh, Brino, who, when doing this research, that Lorenzo uh, was killed in a car crash in 2020. Very sad. Yeah, kind of a sad place to leave our little character section yeah well in that case let's say that uh nicholas sprino is still alive i think so i hope so <laughs> I, I do too i we picked our episodes using uh episode rating.com uh, which uses the t b d the tmtb api and uh just watch to pull its ratings put the top rated and the lowest rated which will hopefully be the format going forward unless for some reason we can't find the ratings uh then we'll flip a coin or or roll some dice or pick from a hat as as last episode exosquad had only 12 actually rated episodes out of their 50 or so episode run i know that off of imdb alone looking at seven heaven there are twenty five thousand ratings yeah a little better a little bit more mainstream gives us a little more information and also, I'm sure it does help to be a TV show that exists at the same time as the internet in getting your internet ratings built out. Oh, I'm sure. Though, I mean, all the rest, right, are probably, they pull from this API, but they're Nielsen ratings because they're old enough. So if there's no rating for that, and I mean, ExoSquad's a whole other thing. Go back to episode one and you'll you'll know exactly what we're talking about with when it played and aired on the regular uh, the first episode that we'll be talking about, we can just jump right into it. We're going to do Season 2, Episode 17, Nothing Indoors But Change. This was our top-rated episode uh, with an 8.2 rating. Uh, the episode aired March 2nd, 1998. It was directed by Stephen Collings. I know him. And written by Heather Conkey. Uh, in the episode, Lucy blackmails matt into taking her to a restaurant to meet some friends but on the way there her friend gets in a fatal car accident spoilers if you haven't seen it uh, mary's ex wilson uh, guest star andrew keegan needs a babysitter for his son in order to attend his senior prom and sixth grader simon would move into the attic to get away from ruthie i guess this episode is inspired by real events uh where beverly mitchell who plays lucy uh in 1997, a car accident killed her friend uh, Angela, where the death left quite an impact on the actor. She talks about it in Chicken Soup for the Preteen Soul. What do you think about that? I'm finally willing to admit it. I've never read a Chicken Soup for the Soul book in any capacity. However, I do watch shows occasionally on the free streaming network Crackle, which I found out recently is owned by Chicken Soup for the Soul Enterprises. That's uh, one hell of a fun fact. I've never read any Chicken Soup. I can remember them. I, I can remember seeing them all over bookshelves and stuff like that. But, yeah. I usually found them uh, in, like, bathrooms of older ants' houses. <laughs> it's always an old ant that's got a book that you really don't want to read. Well, the cool ants, the younger ants and the cool uncles would have the bathroom reader. Mitchell, in 
Chicken Soup for the Pre-Tuned Soul uh, writes that Brenda Hampton asked if she was open to doing a hard episode about dealing with the loss of a young friend. Mitchell says, up until that point, I had not let myself grieve over the loss of Angela. Uh, she goes on to explain she realized that she needed to let out her emotions and fears if she ever wanted to get over the pain. So she poured this into the episode, kind of crying tears of happiness and relief uh, when she was finished. Catharsis. That's one hell of a way. I mean, it's cheaper than therapy, I guess, if you're getting paid for it. Yeah, it's negative dollars when you get paid for it. <laughs> well, now we get to talk about the episode itself. Yeah, so excited. Let me pull up my notes. Do you want to start on this one? Sure, yeah. The episode, it's a strong opening where two girls and then four girls repeatedly fail the Bechdel test as they uh, only talk about boys and then occasionally break to talk about the things that are going to drive the plot. They're like, do you want to go get pizza? It's like, maybe we'll meet two boys. <laughs> I love the fact that you broke this down because in my notes, all it says is this opener is awful with yeah, I just have girls talking about boys, but I had a lot of like strong opinions about, <laughs> oh, this is a problem. This is apparently a friend. I believe you read that the friend has not been in the show before. It's uh, this episode only. Yes, Kayla Murphy. She was only in this single episode as Sarah. Uh, she did appear in Ellen for five or six episodes. Yeah, I never watched Ellen, but that's a possible choice for us in the future. So. It sure is. 1997 and 1998. So her friend's sister, they see her in the hallway, go up and talk to her. The older sister says, oh, I'm driving now. And I let my idiot 14-year-old sister drive occasionally. And because we read the episode summary, this sounds bad. It doesn't sound good in the first place, but it sounds especially bad. Because I read the episode summary. And I know what happens. The foreshadowing is, is strong at the beginning of this, obviously. It's making it clear that it, something feels off about it. But I don't know, maybe the whole show feels that way. We haven't watched any episodes before after this cold open right there's the whole conversation and i feel like it's is a running theme because we watch it here and even in our next episode where they do these camera cuts every single time somebody decides to talk cutting back and forth within the same conversation over and over and over again yeah it feels like a spongebob episode they were ahead of time so the B plot of this episode that starts in the cold open jessica beal has to go babysit her ex-boyfriend's kid and the kid is bad. That's the whole B-plot. And the only reason it's in this episode is because the ex-boyfriend has a part to play in the uh, climax of this episode. But the B-plot is uninteresting, and I don't think I have anything else to say about it. And Jeff, do you? Uh, I don't. No, not at all. Great. I mean, it happens. It's there. Good talk. She keeps Jessica Beale in the episode. Uh, so then we get our nice opening theme song, which I'll probably pipe in here. Before we even get any further in on some of this main plot, though, I have in my notes very specifically, like, what the hell is up with the shining voice when Ruthie is playing with these finger puppets? Oh, no, I got a lot to say about that. Wait, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. That's not the B plot. That's the C plot. The B plot is that the second youngest boy wants to move out of the room that he shares with his youngest sister. Yeah, you're right, because the big brother uh, leads more into this A plot. Uh, so this would definitely be the B-plot. There's a lot of plots going on simultaneously in this one. There is a lot of stuff uh, going on in this episode. Maybe too many. What do I know? I'm not Aaron Spelling. We get the intro, wonderful music, and then immediately we start into one of my big complaints about this show is that I find all of the background music offensive. It's all like um, 
royalty-free stuff that you just find somewhere on the internet or you just had some guy just like write it i i tried to see who there is no music credit in the show so they must have just found it in an alley somewhere i hate it all it lightly reaches out of the tv and just slaps your face a little bit every time a musical interlude happens so right after our delightful theme music we immediately get the first of many background music pieces that i just find offensive in their blandness they're bland and they almost feel out of place in a lot of these sections specifically in this episode like for how dramatic it's supposed to be the music does not match up And we can thank Dan Folart. Foley Art, F-O-L-I-A-R-T. Um, the other well-known is Roseanne, the original Roseanne. Good for him. I don't have a strong opinion about Roseanne's music, but I'll have to go back and give it a listen. That uh, technically falls into our time frame so we could watch it. That's true. And he did all or nearly all of these Seventh Heaven episodes. He did uh, 220 episodes. That's a lot. Daughter Lucy wants to go out with her friends. Which is almost made like a bigger deal out of it than it really is. I mean, they probably could have shut this down. It's a school night. You can't go out. Uh, but instead, it turns into this big song and dance. Like, what's the mom doing? Why can't she take her? It's a very strangely and aggressively repressive family. I don't understand not letting a 14-year-old go get pizza with friends and being done by 8 o'clock. I, I don't either. And they're, they're acting like it's a completely unreasonable thing to ask, which... It is because it turns out she's going to lie about it and they're going to go in the car. But they don't know that. And the episode justifies the parents' bizarre fear of the world. Well, I think we know why it's justified. But, uh, I mean, you and I would be of an age where we'd be asking our parents to take us places all the time at this point. Yeah, 14, I was getting dropped off at the mall and, you know, see you in four hours. Seventh grade, I was getting dropped off at the mall. I mean, my parents would stay, but we would just run around and do whatever we wanted to at that point. Different lives. That's probably why we're so depraved. Yeah, maybe. I just can't imagine how patient my mother had to be that she would spend, you know, four hours at the mall. I'd rather die than spend even five minutes in a mall these days. Like, I appreciate how much she loved us because I don't think I could love my kids that much. <laughs> so there's a lot of, like, arguing about time and schedules and cars and this in a way that I find really, really dull. But the older brother solves it. And he's going to drive her there and drop her off. He doesn't even make a big deal out of it. I mean, I give him credit, right? I'll take you. Yeah, he's doing some good big brother stuff. Except for when they pull up outside in the nice family station wagon. I love that thing. <laughs> it's a great station wagon. And they don't see your friends. And he says, okay, go inside and look for them. I'll be back in an hour. And he's like, don't wait outside alone. And there's like eight other people standing out there waiting for their tables or something. But he's acting like she's standing on the corner of two terrible streets in New York or something. Well, they talk about that later in the episode. Like he knew they weren't there or whatever it is, right? Well, you could have gone inside with her. You have a car. You can park it. Walk her in. Make sure she gets there if you're worried about it. And then go to the library. From the way everybody talks about it, you could have walked to the library from this pizza place. Well, let's take a moment to shift back to our B plot. Of the little brother trying to get out of the room with his little sister. Which starts from that that shining voice for the finger puppets. I cannot stand <laughs> this little girl's voice. And I noticed this in the next episode with once this girl got too old to do that and they had to bring in two new kids. These just overly disgustingly precious children that make me want to barf. Too bad. I'm adjusted. <laughs> the whole episode yeah playing with these little puppets and making them talk to people and i just want to i want to throw in a volcano well 
I don't know how well that paper mache volcano would work, but I do love that. I forgot. I forgot there was a volcano <laughs> in this episode. They keep that trope of you know the the high school or grade school science fair is a paper mache volcano. Yeah, if you went to your science fair with a paper paper mache volcano, they're gonna say, "Wow, you watched Leave It to Beaver." Like it's wild that the entertainment business has just been so lazy about that one. You can just write the same thing over and over again. There's a million things to do, and that's what we come up with. Volcanoes. The brother and daughter share a room. The two oldest daughters share a room. The oldest has his own room, but they have this entire attic that's never been used. Why? It looks great. Uh, I mean, it's creepy. That's why when he's offered it, the youngest boy says, yeah, this is great. Uh, It's just that I have to walk too far to the bathroom. So I don't know. He does come up with every excuse he possibly can without saying, yeah, I'm scared to sleep up there by myself. Yeah, everyone politely doesn't point it out. But it's a great little room. I love attic rooms. If you can't have a basement, have an attic room. That's what I always say. It's a weird layout for the house. One of my favorite things is when people try to reconstruct fictional houses as you see them in the show because they're just a bunch of disconnected sets, right? Well, obviously, yes. I wasn't paying attention. Does this do my favorite sitcom thing? Of having more than one staircase in the house? You know, I don't think I noticed. Because if you recall, Family Matters, Full House, Step by Step, Boy Meets World, they've all got... Two staircases. A staircase in the living room, and they got the staircase that goes down into the kitchen. Yep. Now, that used to be a thing in some bigger houses. It's possible, but I think it's just so that you can have people enter from coming down the stairs into whatever scene you need to be. Well, the, that back staircase used to be for the servants, right? Yeah, possibly. These houses were probably not ones with servant quarters built in mind. But... No, I don't think some of them were big enough. The mom has a discussion with the dad about how she hopes her kids like never leave and grow up. And I know she's saying it's silly to feel this way, but she really seems to mean it. She's not ready for her kids to leave, which is pretty normal for the oldest kid, right? Yeah, that's true. But you have the oldest, and then you have Mary... And then you have Lucy. This is the third kid. This is the one. Yeah, and they're still not getting any better. Right? They're like, you can't go out. No, somebody has to take this. And that. I mean, by the time you get to the third, the fourth, the fifth one, you're like, eh, I hope he lives through the day. When do they let these other kids drive if they're still in high school, right? Going from 14 to not being able to go anywhere on your own to being able to literally do whatever you want as long as you tell them beforehand. And they have to drive. I guess this is California, wherever it's supposed to be. I feel like they try to make it into like a small town. Oak. Glen Oak. Glen Oak. That's it. They try to make it into like a small town thing where you almost feel like you could walk places, but then they have to drive. And I'm sure if we watched a few more episodes, we'd get a better feeling for Glen Oak. Well, let's wrap up the B plot because it doesn't affect the main plot. No. uh, The older brother moves into the attic. The younger brother, Simon, gets his older brother's room. The brother, the biggest brother is looking very good. Yeah. In this episode, episode, for sure. And talking about wrapping things up, um, if we move back to the A-plot, at this point, uh, there's a car wrapped around a telephone pole. We we know who it is, right? Right. Big Brother driving home, sees the wreck, and he knows who it is, and he goes back home because he can't get to the pizza place, takes the parents to look for Lucy, and then there's just a whole bunch of uh, grief processing for the rest of the episode. They do a good job there. Yeah. That tension is built well there i don't believe there's like awful music at this point because there was that weird saxophone transition from the pizza place to the 
to the attic. I've got the saxophone pizza place music. I'll put that in there. Because <laughs> that was some weird. That was some weird music. But yeah, the tension is built. I mean, if you didn't read the synopsis before watching it, you could be worried for a few moments because they actually play it out really well. That's true. You do feel that tension, and I give the writers and the actors credit here because I'm going to take it away from them very shortly. Yeah. Well, please continue. All right, we find out, right? The car is wrapped. We get the police officer who shows up to ask Reverend Eric if uh, he'll come and deliver the bad news. And then mom, Annie, goes to get her daughter. Lucy has no idea. She starts apologizing and stuff. And the mom just has that look on her face and and she tells her what happens. And then they have this really weird progression of how it goes. They they do it. The tension is there. You, You start to feel it a little bit. And then the camera starts cutting back and forth again. Like we're watching a SpongeBob episode. And we're looking at mom, Lucy, mom, Lucy, mom, Lucy. And you just can't get into that moment at this point in time. There's nothing that these actors could do with this. And uh, we can only assume they kept doing that for the rest of the show's run because we noticed the same problem in the next episode. Which is a season 10. Season 9. Oh, it's 9. That's right. You're right. It is season 9. They do come home and then it's like that really clunky dialogue. It is awkward, but it's at least trying. Showing Lucy's struggle with grief and not being able to, like, properly grapple with it. Yeah, when she has the breakdown, like, in her room, uh, and they're all, they're literally all just staring at it, right? Like, it was a big ask from the actress at this point. And I think she did a great job. I mean, for as much as it is and for how bad the writing was in that section, I think she delivered really well. So That's well done. Yeah, I think the acting is selling it. Good on her. And then in the end... Let's come back around to the C-plot a little bit. The oldest daughter's ex-boyfriend. The greaser. The reason he has a kid is because it, it took a while to figure this out, being this the only episode we watched. He got a girl pregnant, married her, and then she died in childbirth. Yes. So he got a little tragedy tornado. Which is why he's back, right, in this episode? Yeah, and so I forget, the dad calls him, right? Yes. Because the dad kept trying to figure out how to get through to his daughter the entire time, and then he's just like, I figured it out. Yeah, so the dad calls the ex-boyfriend and asks him to come over. Oh, yeah, he has a really weird interaction with his wife when he figures it out. They were talking, and he had an aha moment, and he literally walked <laughs> yeah, away and told her nothing. Sorry, I, I, did, I did have a note about this. <laughs> he, uh, I called it, it's a Dr. House moment. Yeah. I guess you get all Sherlock Holmes, too. But, yeah, he, he just trails off mid-sentence and walks away. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. I always hated those moments, though, especially when they're between, like, husband and wife, right? Like, you're just not going <laughs> to clue your wife in, your partner, onto what's hey, going come on. come back here. And finish your sentence. And she needs to talk to someone who... I should have thought of this before. So he comes over to talk to her, and I think that's pretty good. He talks to her for a bit, and she appreciates it coming from someone who has dealt with something similar. And then they go to a grief counseling meeting. And I appreciate it. I think the grief counseling meeting is probably the best part of the episode. It is well done. Because I like the uh, unusual responses to death. The guy's just like, I want to say this sucks a lot. Actually. And I'm glad it's not me. Like, that's real good. But yeah, no, the club scene is. It's good. It's really good. The deliveries are even good. The I, the acting in that point, all of it feels and it draws you into that moment very well. 
I mean, and they all talk about how like the death and what it means to you, right? And this is the moment when I remembered at this point that, you know, this is actually a religious themed show. But I wanted to add my general thought process to this support group. For me, death, you know, the universe is random as fuck and we have no choice, right? That brings me comfort. Knowing that it's all random and we're just bouncing around as energy and atoms. and It's less to worry about. None of it really matters. You can cut this if you want. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll cut this whole section. All right, fair enough. In the end, I did not cut the section. But I guess so. This episode had a lot of the restrictive religious overtones without necessarily having a ton of the religious talk. Uh, and I don't know how much that's true of the series. As a whole, whole, I agree with this rating. This is a very well done show. I think it's mostly let down by cinematography and some clunky writing. Otherwise, everything is just... It leaves a mark on you. I mean, this is the one episode now that I can remember watching this show, and I can honestly tell you uh, it's probably going to stay with me for a long time, just the way that it comes across. It's a good package. And then the last thing that I noticed was Lucy's got a French manicure, which, you know, at the time is something that would be a little pricey and something that you would do to go to, like, a dance or something like that. So I thought that was a little out of place, but I guess apparently that's my final thought on the episode. Uh, my fun fact is that you know enough about different kinds of manicures to have opinions Thanks, about Steph. them. Love you, dear. <laughs> I think that's that episode in the can. And so now that we've we're done we with the good the episode, episode. Um... season nine, episode fifteen, Red Socks. Uh, this is a rating of four point four, by far yeah, the if lowest. You look on it at um, episode ratings. I believe it's about a full point below any it's other a episode. Huge dip. It's very obvious when looking at the chart. So it's aired 14 February 2005. This is directed by Michael Priest, and it's written by Martha Plimpton. And it's the only writing credit for her. And didn't know the name, but I do know her. It's the short-haired girl from it the is, Goonies. Yeah. The streets of Glen Oak are alive with the sound of music as the Camden family breaks into song for a very special Valentine's Day musical episode. In this special musical episode, the Camdens get into the Valentine's Day spirit by performing classic hits. Lucy is irritated that Kevin is working on the holiday. After not hearing from Vincent for three days, Ruthie catches him with another girl. The family celebrates the twins' sixth birthday. This sounds like a lot more than is actually happening <laughs> in the I mean, all these things technically happen, but it's hard to get past how they happen. So yes, that's correct, gentle listeners. This is a very special musical episode. It was so special that actually, normally when we do these, we want to watch them separately so we can have separate notes. But we started this and just could not do this on our own. So we watched this one together. For this episode? Yeah, that's okay. So we open up with Dad making breakfast with the twins for Mom for Valentine's Uh, Day. He starts, he does laundry. They start talking about cooking for Mom, and then she wakes up they eat breakfast but the dad and the kids sing a song and by sing that's overselling it they're kind of saying it lazily and the kids can't even finish a verse without breathing in the wrong places oh man they have one one person this entire episode can actually sing 
and we won't tell you who but that this, is till so we get to it. His first song is "Love Is Sweeping the Country." Uh, this is written by George Gershwin and Ira Gershwin, and I can tell you that <laughs> Stephen Collins, Catherine Hicks, Mackenzie Rossman, Nicholas Brino, Lorenzo Brino, and George Stoltz are no Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was it was difficult. Yeah, the the music is slow, kind of awkward, but I don't know if that's the music's fault or if that's the singing performance. Because normally in these episodes, right, they might auto tune a little bit or have somebody come in and do a little bit of training with them or something. I'm pretty sure at this point they were just like, "We're singing, give it your best shot, moving on." Someone decided just to do this, but not to do it too hard. They decided they they didn't they wanted to go. But they didn't want to go all the way. And so you end up with this limp thing that falls out all over the 45 minutes yeah, he spent watching. Uh, it's uncomfortable. It's not a good... It's a very bad start, in fact, uh, that the first song is so... Insipid. After this, right, we get our our song cold open. We go in. Reverend Eric and the boys do not do a very good job preparing for moms. Valentine's they didn't clean Day, up. They didn't I clean think. up. So they left, the, they left the kitchen a mess, and then Dad messed well, yeah, up he, the laundry. He washed his red socks, which is going to be your returning theme here, with all of the whites, and they all turned pink. Actually, they turned redder than they probably should have for just a pair of socks. There's a little bit of laundry shenanigans happening here, because I noticed she threw his red socks in with and the And that's the only too. thing that came out white, actually. Yeah, it was Everything really else weird. Everything else is still pink, yeah. But it's a twin's birthday, right? Everybody wishes them a happy birthday. Ruthie says she'll clean their room, and then she goes off to school, which we get to transition into the next song. Yes, and uh, this is the good one. This is not the good one. Now, okay, what's this the, which is one Mackenzie is this one? <laughs> Rossman singing "Nice Work If You Can Get It." Yeah. Oh yeah, that's terrible. That one's because they, they're, they're not. They're not even letting she her does sing. this like husky, She's, like, like mumbling mumble, it. whisper song. What was worse than her singing is the focus through the whole thing. What are we focusing on? They're asking her to sort of they they it's ask her to sort of shimmy things. and kind of dance, but she is never the full focus. Like we can never see the entirety of her dance. It's just like her upper torso. So she could be doing stuff with her legs we would have no idea. <laughs> it it would be unchristian to put the full eye of the camera on this underage woman. That's the only thing the I only can, thing I can think say of. is getting up to a little bit later. We get a couple more dance numbers. Are they good? No. Uh, is the focus better? Maybe. Maybe by the time they, they are better definitely than this, this is honestly the absolute worst. Yeah. Weak choices throughout. Well, why is she singing that song, right? Because she hasn't seen her boyfriend in a while. She had a cold conversation and it was this whole thing. So they kind of argued. They hadn't talked That's on the it, phone yeah, in three days. days. <laughs> they hadn't talked on the phone in three days, and then he walked by talking to another girl, and, and so then she, found she was some mad. Random guy, and they had a brief conversation, and uh, it was petty, and we moved on. From there, we go to Simon and the girl that he only met last night. Right, and they're so in love. So it's in love. love at first they're really, really going on it. Yeah, they're just smooching on the bed. She wants to go meet yes. his family <laughs> immediately. And he's like, no, yeah, we'll just go to no my There's no way hometown. we're ever going to run into Instead. anybody there. Um, but then we go into Lucy and her husband. 
So Lucy's mad at her husband because he's going to work again after taking some paternity leave, it seems. He's going back to work again on Valentine's Day, and she's mad about it. They, they get, get in a, in a fight, fight, and then he tries to smooth it over by singing to her, right? This is our next song. You Were Meant For yeah. Me by Herb Brown and Arthur Freed. Um, spoken Word by George Stoltz. Again, yeah. They're not letting them sing, which is to their detriment. Maybe the singing would be bad, but they're not even giving and it a shot. And he dances with his uniform or whatever, I think. This I consider to be the worst one out of the whole thing. All right. I think uh, I think everyone's the worst one, except for the one that's not. And through terrible. the whole thing, it, it does the cuts again, where it's like constant back and forth to like eye rolls by Lucy and him trying to look attractive and dance. <laughs> Next is... Ruthie and her no. boyfriend at the baseball First, field. We have to do Eric realizing that he was a piece of crap and apologizing to his wife and then singing the song that he sings. No, this the is same song the. Again. Um, so remember, he calls his wife, apologizes, and then he just kind of recants how lucky he is to have her or whatever it is. And he sings, You Are My Lucky Star. Uh, Herb Brown again and Arthur Reed, uh, which isn't very good. And importantly, we left out that the Red Sox is what she gets him every Valentine's Day. The the same ones he, he ruined right, the whites yeah, he, with. He had a pair of Red Sox on when they first met. That's what it was. That's why the episode's named what it is. Now do we move on to the baseball field? It's not the baseball field next. Our next song is Catherine Hicks when she basically um, tells his, her son's girlfriend that he's a little crap. Uh, Mom of the year sees her son who doesn't live at home anymore out with a girl, the some sort of cafe outside. And when he goes inside to buy something, she sits down to try to scare yes. her off. Essentially, she just starts meddling with her son's love life by telling her how many girlfriends he's had and just generally being. Uh, this is the kind of thing I would just stop talking. Yeah, to it's kind of it's kind of so. awful. And then they get in um, to finish it out. Right? They they have. A little song and dance because it's a musical episode yeah uh, and, and we, we do, do actually get, get some dancing bigger this time. camera pans that are completely ruined by weird close-ups where you can see like bits and pieces too much of the dancers behind them not bits and pieces like you know close-ups you make sure there are no dancers no here you, we get very weird angles um and it doesn't spend long enough on on the dancers from far away or close up for you to get any sense of what what no. they're doing and why. You can tell they're dancing, but it never wants to actually let no, you watch No, and them. this is kind of where they, they, they ruin the whole feel of it, right? From the previous ones. So before, uh, Ruthie danced through the school and nobody reacted. So for us as the audience, we're like, oh, okay, so this is just kind of a one-off episode where it's just the characters. Then we get here and we have background people starting to dance. And you're like... This is real, or we're all... There's a gas leak and everyone's going it, a bit mad. It's the music world. Well, the song here, uh, performed by Catherine Hicks, is The Man Upstairs, written by Dorinda Morgan, uh, Hal Stanley, and Jerry Manners. Uh, the number itself is not great. feels like they sort of tried, but they didn't get there. Which will be nice when we get to the next song, right? Because it actually, this one feels like uh, uh, they found what they were looking for. It only took six songs prior Yes. This is what they should have been doing the whole time. If they wanted to do this, this is the way to do it. 
It's it's a makeup song between Ruthie and her At boyfriend. At the baseball field. Which is a recurring theme in this episode, is that it is the man's responsibility to make right what has been gone wrong on Valentine's Day. It is all about the ladies and their feelings. So, despite the fact that neither of them called each other for three days, he goes through the, the effort and makes a, sings a pretty good song. Our boyfriend, Thomas Decker, sings accentuate the positive. <laughs> accentuate the positive i just the way it's written out in the thing is if you don't realize that's accentuate it kind of looks weird but this no this number is actually good and he sings it well and the baseball the baseball players are dancing and they're like kept in frame for long enough for them to do a dance uh he is not very well but at least yeah but but they are interacting it's this is a this is a whole performance that we the audience get to watch as opposed to whatever it is that they've been doing up till now. Though the the funny part in this is that the baseball the rest of the baseball players like outfield and a few of the base players there they just slowly meander forward and then just kind of stand there and I I feel like they look sad like they're being left out of the the dance. <laughs> like, You're an extra. If you start dancing, they'll fire they you. Probably would, more. yeah. Um, I think the last of my notes of the scene here, the captain talks to uh, Lucy's husband about how he is being dumb for the fact that she was upset that he didn't do anything for Valentine's Day, but go back to work. You know, they have florists. Do we get our fun uh, phone book after that sequence? is when he sits down and he pulls out <laughs> a phone book. And he's just going, calling every florist and he obviously runs into yeah, trouble Valentine's being the day Day. that it is. He says, I need some roses. And instead of saying, well, what other flowers do you have? He's, well, what about yellow like roses? getting upset at these people, at these poor business people who, it's Valentine's Day, they're already <laughs> they're, miserable. Nothing's You're left. a dumbass. You should have called us two weeks ago. <laughs> We've got daffodils. Sunflowers. Take what you can. But he doesn't. Which will play off later when he actually probably pays less money for a bouquet from Ruthie that her boyfriend gave her. Yeah, he got good surge yeah, rates on really. those only roses. Paid like a hundred bucks for a dozen or so. That's wild. What else was there? I think there's one more song right at the end, which is the one that they just resing. Yeah, they do a reprise. Yeah, with which the I, dad I, and the if boys. If I remember correctly, is actually worse the second time that it is. You realize again, the kids don't do a good job, but then when they do the same bad job again, it feels it, worse. It does feel worse. Oh, and the lead into this, right? The the parents make up because they have to make up. And then they yes. sing the song together, and that we cut to like everybody singing a little piece of it. And then, like thankfully, the, beginning. the episode's over. The husband buys the roses that Ruthie's yes. boyfriend sent to her. He meets her at the door and he says, "Where'd you get those?" And then he offers yep. her a hundred bucks and buys them off her. Uh, this is this is another good argument for a multi generational household, right? Is that you can just uh, buy and sell. The things timing from each on that other. too is like the boyfriend shows up, gives her the flowers, and then what? Like three seconds later, the husband comes home. The door closes immediately, and then yeah, he's there. Funny. But just well, to right. say that this uh, rating, 4.4, 4, um, is probably not low enough. Yeah, it's I, I mean, it, it told a story, and uh, mostly I mean, mostly yeah, coherent. it was mostly coherent. That doesn't mean it should be given sympathy rating <laughs> points here. I'd rather watch something incoherent. And maybe it'd be more interesting. This was just a rough watch. Uh, um, it's a far cry from our best episode, which, I mean, even if you've never seen Seventh Heaven, I recommend that you watch 
nothing indoors but change season two episode 17 because the episode itself just just hits the right way i don't know if i'd recommend it but you could do you could do worse than that episode for sure I don't think I uh, got any large new feelings about this no, show. I mean, I would it. not go back and watch the whole series. That's for sure. Uh, it seems like it was pretty much exactly what I thought it was when I was something 13. I didn't want to watch. It just doesn't pique my interest. Something to watch with the whole family. If your whole family is dull, dull well, normal dull, roundup. Dull. Uh, do we have any toys? Unfortunately, uh, no. There seem to be no action figures uh, for this one, but. Uh, I don't believe they're officially licensed, but I did find those Seventh Heaven sex toys. There's that Facebook group that sells uh, Final Fantasy stuff too for Seventh Heaven. That's right, because uh, Seventh Heaven is also the name of the bar from Final Fantasy yeah, VII in that's Midgar. A, that's a good fun fact. With honor, uh, another fun honorable mention fact: uh, Andrew Keegan, our antagonist from Ten Things I Hate About You, and our uh, greaser boyfriend, uh, started his own New Age religion. Yeah, some sort of meditation, new age thing, uh, and they got they got raided for selling well, kombucha without a license. Selling things without a license in California, and then it seemed to peter out. Um, well, what do we give this as a rating? You can go first. Out of twelve, Ned. Out of fifteen, it's fifteen. I'm sorry, it's fifteen. <laughs> Don't you take my potential points away? Uh, I'm going to give this one. The same as the number of heavens. It's a seven. I am going uh, to do the same because that one episode, all right, yearly, I thought was well done. And if they have more episodes like that, I think it's yeah. deserving of that. Yeah, I was considering I was going to give it just an average score, right? But and I had to choose between seven and eight, it, so yeah, got to choose so. seven for. I mean, we could give it a seven point five. I'll give it a seven point five. I'm moving into a seven point five after <laughs> you, you. You swayed me. All right, fine. Well, I'm right, I'm staying perfect. right and on. And then seven. our last one is it nastier than Wolf Bronski? Um, <laughs> Absolutely season not. two, episode seventeen. No, I want to say Red Soxes, but it's still too wholesome, so it's a no. It's not it's, nastier. It's it's it just sadder. sadder. So it is a no. That's an absolute no. Well, what are we next what are we going to cover next uh, time? Going outside for our after lunch school break. Uh, next week. These child lawyers need a break. Uh, we also have to do where Seventh Heaven is streaming, and we have to put that in somewhere. Hold on, yeah, go for I it. I gotta find uh, it first. Where can, we, Wait, where can uh, our where can we watch this? Where can we watch this show? Tell me, funny man. Hulu, but you can also watch it on Amazon Prime Video, Paramount Plus, Apple TV. It looks like you can pick it up on YouTube, Google Play, and Vudu if you also want to purchase it. Great. Do you think this one is on uh, the Zoom Marketplace? Damn. 